Hello, friends, and welcome to the Potluck Podcast. I'm joined by none other than Jay Allen Murray, and it's just you and I for now. I don't know if Jared's going to pop on here or not. He's out walking with his wife somewhere, and uh, so he decided to, to kind of ghost us tonight. And uh, so we, we have a few things to talk about, but before we dive into that, first things first, Alan Murray, how is you doing? Well, I am doing well. Uh, we're recording on the Lord's Day. It's been a very busy day of ministry. Uh, preached uh, long and hard, as a, a friend of mine would say. I feel like I've preached my guts out. I was just, just tired. It's been a good day of ministry, though. Uh, God's been very faithful, and uh, the Lord's Day is always a blessing, awesome. morning and evening. How about yourself? I literally just got back off of a bit of a road trip. I drove down to Newton, Texas to preach for the Sabine Natchez area. Uh, they're they're kind of local association there. It's actually a very kind of large association in terms of land. And uh, so they had a men's retreat. I got to preach at that. And so I was down in, in a bit of the bayou, a little bit of the bayou. It's kind of that, you know, about an hour or so from Houston and, and just felt like you were walking through the swamp when you walked outside. Um, because it was very humid, uh, but we had a wonderful time. And then today, I got to preach at a sister church in Coots, Texas. I still don't even know if I say that right, but it was at Cornerstone Baptist Church and had a wonderful time with them. It was a great church. Uh, Pastor Scott is doing a wonderful job there. And then I made the long trek home on Highway 69 all the way here, finally got here, Met my family at Texas Roadhouse to kind of thank them for putting up with my departure for the last three days. We ate some steak. My daughter had some ribs. Another one had some fried chicken. And uh, we ate that, a couple of, couple of rolls. And then now I'm getting to look at your face right before I go to bed tonight on this Lord's Day. So it's, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you. I, I'm feeling pretty tired, too. Well, my apologies that you have to end the day by looking at me, and I will never understand the fascination that you and Cornut and so many other people, like people in my church, have with Texas Roadhouse. But we are not here to talk about your love of Texas Roadhouse and their chicken tenders, because I'm just going to assume that's what you had tonight. Uh, we are here to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention and a little bit of Southern culture that I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, you about, and hopefully Cornette, if he jumps in here at the end uh, of the podcast. If you have been under a rock, uh, you would not know that everything seems to be up in price right now. Inflation is hitting hard. We've talked about that on the podcast before. But one of the things that uh, Godstone is telling us is as inflation is going up, pastors salaries are not necessarily going up. Godstone and Lifeway Research, along with Baptist State Conventions, have found that compensation for full-time Southern Baptist senior pastors has remained flat over the past four years, while the total pay package has decreased. So lots of things are going up except for pastors' salaries. Some of them are staying the same, and some of them are actually going down, uh, seeing that some of their retirement benefits and insurance benefits have fallen by 2.1%. Lifeway says that 41% of Protestant pastors are concerned about their family's financial security. And the report goes on to say that the last four years have included two good financial years and two difficult years for the typical church. And I would assume those two difficult years would be 2020 with the onslaught of COVID and 2022 with the onslaught of 
inflation. They go on to say a church cannot pay what they do not have. Uh, but at the same time, Scripture says that a pastoral worker is worthy of his wages in First Timothy 5.18, not what his wages were worth four years ago. And so it's tough times for a lot of churches, which in turn means tough times for a lot of pastors. Uh, Matt, I know that you love uh, serving pastors as you serve the Pastors pastors Conference. You serve as a director of missions in a, an association with uh, lots of small church pastors, medium-sized pastors, uh, large church. And I know you even have some uh, connections with mega church pastors. And so you're talking to guys all the time. Is this an issue that you see in associational life? It is. Uh, in 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 regular conversations with pastors, uh, you know, a lot of them are sharing that they're feeling the crunch. Uh, some of this was kind of less, you know, many, so many of the guys that I, I do know uh, have received what what we would typically call cost of living uh, raises with their churches. Some Sometimes even they would still turn them down just because maybe the, the giving was still kind of plateaued with their church. And so they wanted to be careful and, and so forth. But but in a way, like 3%, uh, if you get that, uh, when, as as we see in the study from 2018 to 2022, that the consumer price index has jumped 17.6%, I don't know a whole lot of pastors that would say that their pay has increased almost 18%. And so a lot of the guys that I'm talking to, they'll, they have pointed out that, yes, their churches have been, you know, generous with what they can do. You know, they're they're not upset. They're not worried about it in, in that sense. They're not, you know, mad at them. Uh, they're certainly not greedy, but they are having to kind of look for other areas to maybe make ends meet. You know, some of them that I know are picking up bus routes for the school, you know, and so they can get out, you know, do a bus route, make a couple hundred bucks. And, and it just, it, it's a little bit extra at the end of the month that can, you know, help them out. And so I'm hearing that a lot. I'm not hearing so much that they are worried about their pay increases as as much as maybe they are trying to add a few things or or some maybe side gigs, side hustles, if you will, to make ends meet. And uh, and so I, I do hear that a lot. A lot of guys looking for maybe some creative ways uh, to, to add a little bit to the bottom line. Uh, is that kind of what you're seeing in North Carolina? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, see a lot of guys that are that are doing that. Um, I have a role. Uh, I, I do sort of I don't know if you'd call it a consulting role or not, but I work for my local Baptist association as a network facilitator, uh, as well as pastoring. And uh, I see a lot of guys trying to do this, uh, picking up different ways. I, I know some guys that, that do Uber and Lyft and that kind of stuff, because uh, let's be honest and, and real. It's awkward to talk about money a lot of times in the church, uh, whether it's regular giving or your salary, at least for me. Uh, I always feel awkward talking about those kinds of things. And so I don't hear a whole lot of guys, you know, like, man, we, we got to have a raise, but they, they are trying to make ends meet with what they've got. I'm worried about the church's finances because uh, while salary may be a large and even majority portion of some churches' budgets, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in church other than just paying the pastor, contrary to what some folks think. Uh, you've got uh, giving to things like the cooperative program, local associations, state conventions, missions offerings, uh, paying the lights, paying custodians. Uh, paying other staff members, if you're a multiple staff church, you know, you're, you're not just thinking about yourself. Hopefully you're thinking about others. So one of the things that I'm seeing in North Carolina uh, is we've got a great state convention staff. And this article that we're, we're referencing, um, I've seen several of our state convention folks share this advocating for our pastors. And so 
Matt, I know that you are a, a pastor at your church, but your primary vocation is not a pastor at First Farmers Hill. It's as the uh, network, or excuse me, the associational mission strategist at the Colin Baptist Association. How do you think, uh, if, if pastors don't want to advocate for themselves with inflation, uh, how do you think maybe associational mission strategists or state convention folks or anybody, uh, what do you think would be helpful to advocate for helping take care of pastors as uh, the financial crunch comes in on them just like it does everybody else? You know, it's it's like a lot of things. You know, it's it's sending out the info, uh, sometimes being the bad guy, being the one that shares these kind of things. I think there was an article out the other day about Joe from Joe McKeever. Uh, that that a lot of guys were sharing that a lot of maybe pastors were perhaps afraid to share, but a lot of kind of pastor buddies uh, were sharing to to remind what a lot of us are facing as pastors. And so sometimes you can be a voice for the guys that aren't really able to say it. But at the same time, I think part of my role is to talk to pastors and share with them some some tactful ways that they can advocate for themselves and to give them some tools and some either the compensation studies or or why is it that maybe this is lagging behind or what are some things that we can do to maybe boost that up. And so sometimes it's it's helping them see how to tactfully address these things without coming across money hungry or or you know doing you know 12 givings you know sermons every year, you know, whatever it might be. And so helping them with those, also sharing those on our email blast and on our page. Usually that gets you know seen by church members and so forth. Uh, that that helped with uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, for example. This different topic, but a lot of churches just hadn't really heard of that until you know I came in and we started doing a Pastor Appreciation Coffee deal, and you know we would share why we were doing that, and uh, to make sure that there wasn't a single pastor in our association that did not feel appreciated in this month, some way somehow. And a lot of churches then kind of took it on, and they showed ways uh, to appreciate their pastors. And so since we were talking about this. Jared Cornut finally finished his little walk, but I, I assume there was probably some football game on that it finally ended up. That's the real story here. Uh, but Jared, do you have any thoughts on on Pastor Pay? I, I know you're at the top end of all of this, so, so what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, first of all, today was my son's sixth birthday, and so we were celebrating that. And then my wife is 30 weeks pregnant, and when she says, hey, I need to go on a walk, you say, all right, let's go on a walk. Um I have a prediction, and I may be wrong, and hopefully I am in some regard. I I think that churches are going to realize the next five, ten years that they're going to have to pay more for a pastor, and they're going to have to offer benefits. In fact, I know of a church right now that um, in rural Alabama that has those offering a, a, a pretty nice package, honestly. They were offering no benefits, and they've had two guys turn them down because of that. Uh, and so I think they have come back and – reorganize and now they're offering health insurance and some retirement because well, those are things we need. Uh, and so I do believe that maybe if, if giving does not increase in churches, I think some churches will look a little personal top heavy for the next five, 10 years because it costs money to, to hire people, especially, you know, this Matt, if you live in a place like Dallas right now, our housing market is bonkers. So do you expect a pastor to come here, move, buy a house, be invested in the community that he's pastoring? Um, but he, he can't do that cheaply. Um, and so we'll see what happens. It is interesting that pay has been stagnant. I think that's going to change. It may affect the CP. It may affect what churches give in other regards. I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. But um, 
I think it's going to be addressed. Alan, we kind of talked about this when we talked about rural ministry. I think some of that rural churches are going to have to ask is, you know, are we going to have to offer more pay or benefits to get some guys out here um, to, to pastor these churches? And I don't think it's because pastors are money hungry. I think it's because pastors, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm soon to be a father of four children. Matt, you have four children. Alan, you have two kids. Kids are expensive. Health insurance is expensive. You need to be able to retire one day. Uh, you got to be able to buy a house if you don't have a parsonage. And um, if you don't want your pastor to be bivocational, which most churches do not want their pastor to be bivocational, this is something they're going to have to consider. Um, and I hope that guys like you, Matt, guys in the state offices, Alan, you were talking about, will be able to help in this regard. Help. I think the compensation studies are very helpful to help congregations think through. And hopefully, uh, pa- you know, search teams can be upfront with pastors about what they can offer. Things yeah. like that. There's nothing worse than that when you're talking with a church. And then you get to the, you know, the dreaded, like, all right, let's finally talk about compensation here. And you're going, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't work 80 hours a week for $32,000 a year, no benefits, uh, like some churches do expect. Yeah. So that's probably where I land on it. Uh, that's, that's my ramble for the night. Cool. Well, in, in kind of different news, uh, Bart Barber and Daniel Dickard and, and some from the executive committee made their way to New Orleans. That is because we are ever closer to the SBC annual meeting in New Orleans. And uh, so in a moment, we're going to talk about kind of our Southern culture topic is going to maybe be uh, some cuisine known to New Orleans and, and the South and so forth. But, uh, but I think we could talk briefly about uh, some of the things that we saw in New Orleans uh, that, uh, that happened with Bar Barbara being there, Daniel being there, Jamie Dew kind of rolling out the red carpet or maybe the purple carpet, as it were. Uh, what, what, what sticks out to you, Jay Allen? Well, the first thing I would like to know is if they took a little bacon and they took a little beans and fought the Methodist in the town of New Orleans. Um, no, I, I think it's great that the prep work is going on. Um, you, a lot of folks think that, you know, the annual meeting just happens. Uh, they have no idea how much, uh, foresight and how much planning it takes to visit the site. Um, not in this article, but I'm so glad that Bart sat down in one of the convention center chairs so that we know what the chairs are like. I mean, that, that was, that was the most pressing issue for me trying to decide whether I'm going to New Orleans or not is how hard the seats will be because the mind can only absorb what the bottom can endure. Uh, but I, I love the partnership in all seriousness. I love the partnership between New Orleans and some of the local church pastors and even the local Baptist association that is there preparing for crossover, that it's not just about the annual meeting. It's about sharing the gospel with New Orleans, just like it was shared in Anaheim, just like it was shared in Nashville. And so a lot of great prep work going in. Uh, if you're not aware of how much prep goes into one of these things, uh, talk to some of these guys, maybe maybe pray a little harder for Bart or for Willie McLaurin or Jonathan Howe or even Jamie Dew. I'm sure New Orleans is going to be expecting an influx of people coming to visit the campus. Yeah, indeed. I, I got to go to this event, but it was obviously for Anaheim last year. And uh, and what is neat about it is is what we're kind of seeing here on the ride up is is what we know about. You know, the the you know, them up on the stage talking about, you know, maybe their theme for the annual meeting or their theme for the pastors conference or maybe some things they're excited about. What that was meant to do was to kind of drum up some local support and uh, and what used to be called, I think, the Local Arrangements Committee. They're now calling the Local Encouragement uh, Team. And this is a team that is trying to recruit all of the local volunteers needed 
to to prepare for the annual meeting and to make the annual meeting happen. You know, we we see what happens really on the stage, but there's greeters, there's security, there's all the other things that have to happen, and that requires a ton of volunteers. And so, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to Jay Adkins, who is kind of leading that charge. And so, we want to sincerely pray for him. Uh, but part of this is to kind of drum up some of that support, get some excitement for the local people because we're coming to you. And uh, and so it is a chance for them to, to be able to have a part in this. And then kind of behind the scenes, that's where like Daniel and and Bart will, will be with like Willie and Jonathan Howe and, and maybe like the convention center staff. And they're looking at the main hall and they're they're seeing where the stage is going to be, how how many screens they can do, where the you know, speakers need to be, where the booths are going to be, all of that kind of stuff. And and they'll go through the different kind of side rooms for, you know, the different ballrooms it's going to be, maybe the Swibbits luncheon or the Southeastern luncheon. And they start kind of getting a plan now. And uh, what what is just so amazing to me is how much of a well-oiled machine this really is, is because right when the annual meeting is done and they're packing everything up, they're already planning for this. And they're already on the field. They're already making the plans. And all of this stuff is already underway. And if they weren't doing this now, then what we would have in June would not remotely be possible. And so, yes, it gets some local excitement. But also, we want to pray for BARD and the EC and all of that because there's a lot of logistical things behind the scenes that can be nightmares. You know, right? You're trying to get thousands upon thousands of people into one space and making sure they have plenty of room to park, plenty of room to sit plenty of the room to go to the bathroom, all of the different things that you need to do. And so this is part of what they do when they're on these site visits. Jared? Really glad that we're going to have comfortable seats because we spend a lot of time in those seats. Uh, and I spend a lot of time next to Matt Hensley when I'm in those seats. And so um, I'll, I'll let it be comfortable at least. I usually enjoy the conversation with Rebecca uh, and then uh, get annoyed by the side eyes I get from Matt. Uh, during the annual meeting. But no, uh, I'm excited about it. My biggest question is, am I driving or flying to New Orleans? I was just yeah. looking up just looking up flights. Uh, they're not cheap right now. About 400 bucks from Dallas round trip uh, to fly to New Orleans. Surely that will come down some between now and then. Uh, Matt, what is it? About a nine, 10 hour drive to New Orleans from Dallas? It depends. If, uh, if Bart is driving, you're probably going the speed limit and you're going to have to hear all about church history and so forth. And so that's up to you. If you and I are going and we'll go in the Mustang, we'll get there in like three hours, baby. All right. Well, I'm riding with you then. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I might take my golf clubs down there and use the golf club that I acquired from Matt Hensley that I am smacking the mess out of the golf ball with right now. It is a, been a very good club for me Jay hey, there's a third option there's a third option train uh, we are seriously considering taking a train because it'll be a lot cheaper it'll take longer how many hours uh i think uh, i i want to think it was like 12 or 18 hours but it's a long drive anyway I've, I've i've never i've never driven straight to new orleans from here but i have driven to gulfport and yeah. uh, that, that's like a 13-hour drive, and it's another three hours from Gulfport to New Orleans because I have driven from Gulfport to New Orleans. Can you get a um, sleeper so car cheaper than a plane can. right now? Wow. It, much cheaper. Yeah, much, much cheaper. And you're, if your kids are going, they'd love that. For sure. So you, you might want to take a train. I know that's old-fashioned, but our friends over at SBC this week, they talked about how they used to publicize how you could take a train to the annual meeting. It might be an option for you. Uh, I had a very bad train experience in Branson, Missouri this summer. Uh, and so um, 
the scenic Branson uh, railway, which has no scenic views at all. So <laughs> it's a bit deceptive there. And it also says it's air conditioned. I don't think that was true either. And so that's like sitting on a non-scenic view, non-air conditioned train with your pregnant wife, looking at you going, and we spent how much on this? Yeah. Well, while we are in New Orleans, we're also going to get to eat. And uh, Jay Allen, you were looking forward to this topic specifically about a certain thing that started with the letter C that you wanted to discuss. So let's talk about that. Well, sometimes it starts with the letter C, and sometimes it starts with the letter M. Uh, they're sometimes affectionately called mud bugs. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about crawfish, crayfish, crawdads, crawdaddies, mud bugs. They got a lot of different names. And, uh, of course, that's something that they're really well known for in the swamps of Louisiana. And so I- I'll talk in just a moment. Matt, you are, you're looking forward to eating some some crawfish, right? I am not. And that is the gist of my contribution to this portion. Of Have you had crawfish before? No. Okay. Then ha- no. You got to try it. Immediately, no. It's a lot. Here's, the, my, here's my problem with crawfish. It's a lot of work for a little reward. Nope. But when you so get that head, is, you, go, you suck at uh, that, oh, it's good. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that is delicious. It is a lot of work. Uh, for not a whole lot of reward, I think shrimp are much easier to eat and have a whole lot more meat to them. But you can buy crawfish already boiled, already peeled, and uh, a lot of different things can be used for crawfish. It's not just the crawfish boil. Uh, down in Louisiana, they've got a really famous dish called crawfish étouffée, and um, uh, that's something I've never eaten that I would love to try there. Um, I know it gets thrown into a lot of things. I've, I've had boiled crawfish. Uh, here in North Carolina, people do crawfish boils here. I think they're a whole lot more prevalent in the Gulf, uh, even in Texas, where you guys are. Uh, typically, they're imported here. We have crawfish. Um, I could walk right behind or right in front of my house and set a trap overnight, and in the morning, there would be crawfish in it in the ditches and the canals that are around my house, but they're certainly not as prolific here as they are down there. But there's one dish I, I shared with you, Matt, that I think you might enjoy. Um, I'm not... I'm not one of those. I'm not a lobster mac and cheese guy. I think lobster mac and cheese is way overrated because lobster is way overrated. Um, I will die on this hill. I think it's overpriced and overrated. Wrong. But, uh, man, twenty-two dollars a pound for big crawfish. That's look. I'm not. Say, look, I'm not saying it's over. It's, it is expensive, but it is delicious. It's delicious. I love it. I mean, I could eat shellfish to the point I turn pink like a flamingo. I'm from the coast of North Carolina, uh, but I, I, for the money, I'd much rather have shrimp or oysters or scallops or clams or a lot of other things. Anyway, lobster mac and cheese to me is overrated, but I had some crawfish mac and cheese at one of the annual meetings of my local Baptist Association three years ago, and it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. And so crawfish are great on their own. They are a lot of work. But, man, you can, you can use them just like you would shrimp. Uh, some people fry them. I've seen crawfish po'boys. Uh, I've never had that. That would be really good. So besides the beignets, I'm, I, I don't know, powdered sugar might be too much for you, Matt. Uh, but besides the beignets, my, my goal will be to try to get you to eat at least one crawfish in New Orleans. It's not going to happen. I already had If you will do the one-chip challenge. You That's can eat the crawfish. Spicy. That's spicy. Crawfish is spicy. If you, you do oysters? Right. No. No. Man, this is you ridiculous. They're sea boogers. It's not yeah. liver mush. You ain't sea boogers. Come on. Uh, yeah, I'm out. How about we have a crawfish boil on the Pot Pilot Podcast? Okay, I'll eat the That corn. would be great. I'll eat the corn. All right, send this out, Jared. 
Well, I did not do the opening, but I will do the close. Thanks for joining us, friends. We hope we had your feel, your full. Don't really know what we talked about. A little bit about crawfish, a little bit about salaries, a little bit about New Orleans. Uh, but we hope it was edifying and good to you. We hope you'll join us next time. Same Baptist time, same Baptist hour. And as always, stay, stay Baptist, Baptist, my friends. <laughs>